AI and machine learning, it's still highly experimental area. Right now, it's not a rocket science. If you don't have a good data, don't go into ML. That's a money pit. In the future, when uh, we'll be no people, just the robots who will perform some tasks and uh, do our job. So that will be no option. Welcome to People Tech and Other Weirdness, the not-so-serious soft-serve podcast. Here we collect stories from our people about their roles and rules, game-changing decisions, wins, walls, and falls. You'll hear about technologies from those who create them. Let's see who we have on today. All right. Hello and welcome to this new episode of People, Tech and Weirdness podcast. My name is Yuri Malonov. I'm a director of AI and data science practice here at Saucer. And today here with me are my colleagues and good friends of mine, Vladimir Solsky and uh, Ruslan Kuso. They both are brilliant engineers, successful leaders, top-notch consults who work with some market-leading companies. They both are essentially some of the brightest minds I ever worked with. So guys, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Hey everyone, so my name is Voldemar, Voldemar Solsky. I'm senior data scientist and I'm also MLOps practice lead at SoftServe. So I take care of taking the niceties of AI and bringing them to the customers, meaning to production. Hi everyone, uh, my name is Ruslan Kusov. I'm infrastructure solution architect based in Boston, Massachusetts, and uh, I am AWS uh, Center of Excellence Lead, responsible for AWS cloud migration, cloud adoption, multi-cloud journey, hybrid clouds, and so on. And also I am AWS APN ambassador. Awesome, awesome. Thank you, gentlemen. So we are here to talk about artificial intelligence, machine learning, data science, and, you know, it, it's been booming these days, right? We see more and more applications uh, of these technologies, right? Data science job marketing is growing like crazy. Everyone is talking about AI. But where do you think we are right now with respect to AI data science? Is it a trend or some sort of manipulative hype, guys? What do you think? So, Volodya, I think you spent much more time working on uh, production scale. AI projects, what do you think, where we are? Well, I would say that up till now, pretty much we were riding the hype machine, but now we are past the point and we are getting to fully understanding how we need to leverage and embrace it. So we've been looking to kind of develop industry practices that will help us move forward. I think we are, I would agree. And Ruslan, what's your opinion on that? Uh, you know, I can add that uh, from my perspective, from my point of view, I see that uh, machine learning technologies, they uh, become more and more popular, uh, not only uh, for people, for enterprises, but also for some uh, stuff that we previously uh, uh, done manually. So, for example, uh, a lot of services right now, they are available for anomaly detection. So, for example, you can understand what's going on with your workload and predict some uh, unusual behavior before you have any problems in production environments. Or, for example, machine learning technologies, they help to classify your data. They'll just highlight that you use some personal information improperly or use some personal healthcare information and just help you to build the proper protection mechanism. So that's not only about the use cases for business, for enterprises, but also uh, for use cases that help you to simplify your life. 
Yeah, yeah, I would agree. And of course, there is some hype. There is a lot of speculation about these technologies. And that that's a natural thing, right? It happened to all the big breakthroughs, right? And it's a natural sort of tendency around how, how, how technology is, is, is developed, right, and adopted. And, you know, I started my AI journey back in 2008, I believe, when no one actually called it data science, right? I've been doing some infosec engineering work i've been working on a on the monitoring systems we try to identify different types of security threats and at some point we realized that okay we cannot can drill kind of can code everything right we, we, there are too many possibilities right for someone to break into your system so we need to come up with a more kind of scalable way and yeah then i switch into the big data world because we got more and more system generating data generating logs we've been we started working on a much bigger scale and on that scale i mean there is no way you can you can hand code anything right when you deal with all, all this kind of world complexity and you know what is funny um when when this kind of data science machine learning hype started a lot of my colleagues, they changed their titles from database administrator to data scientist. It was so funny to see this trend on LinkedIn. But yeah, anyway, I think we, now we have much, much better understanding of these technologies of their potential, right? And there is less and less of ignorance of speculation, but yeah, it, it will take a time until we get to the, until this technology will be kind of familiar and natural to everyone. And you guys, how, how did you guys came to, to this era, right? How, so I know that you, Volodya, you have quite, a, quite an interesting story, right? Quite an interesting journey from, from your kind of career. Can, can you share with us some of the details of your story? Yeah, actually, so I would say that I first encountered what we call data analysis. It's around 2007, 2008, when I was working for a product company, actually from the wind power industry. So at that time, we called that slightly different. It was like time series analysis. It was digital signal processing. But effectively, we were doing, well, quite similar to what some niche technologies, some practitioners doing today with like time series stuff. And like from that time, it never let go of me, to be honest. So I thought that, well, yeah, it works well in here, but there should be something else. It probably should be, we should be able to apply that to other use cases. And that's how I kind of transitioned. So basically I started as a software engineer that was really interested in data and analysis and this kind of things. And kind of the projects I worked usually leveraged some of that until I finally decided that, okay, it's probably time to formally switch. <laughs> that's how I became a data scientist. It's around 2014, I believe mid-2014 so and started working i still remember that time it was still a time of a kind of a wild west so we were doing some simple models and we kind of we were even picky about what exactly we are going to do so this is data science and this is not exactly data science so it's not interesting for us and when we got to the model like we were happy we put we published a paper on top of that so we were cool guys you know and this was just the start i guess the beginning of the hype cycle and then it's kind of the technology the investment poured in the technology started picking up and like people started using it all over the place so it's basically it became part of our daily life and 
some point, like everyone was doing machine learning, everyone was doing data science. The problem was that, like the problem, the, the thing that I felt personally that like, okay, everyone's doing that. Everyone has nice models and those models are pretty much, well, commodity that you cannot really use because, uh, well, it's sitting there, it's a paper, that's nice. How do we deal with that? So I kind of decided to marry two of my kind of specialities, back my background and started looking into how do we actually bring those models to production. And it was sometime after I believe 2017. So the MLOps as it was already coined. So we've got the initial paper, for example, and there were lots of people get, got to get the same feeling that I got. And essentially that's how we picked it up and that natural synergy of skills led us to, well, productionalization, to commoditization and effectively enabling this day-to-day -day usage of AI technologies that we have now. Yeah, cool. I mean, and, I, I, and I've seen part of this journey, right? Because we, we joined data science group at Saucer pretty much at the same time, right? Back in the days, like it's six years ago or more, right? And we had like three people on the team, right? Or four. And now how big we are, it's like more than 70. So it pretty much reflects this kind of adoption, right? And then and this trend that you just discussed. So, and you, Ruslan, what is your connection to data science, AI, machine learning? I know that you are coming from a different world, but do you have some personal story connected to these technologies? Yeah, sure. For me, uh, that's a really interesting journey to this. So first of all, Five years ago, probably when uh, I was working as a system administrator and I just started DevOps path for me, uh, I had to manage uh, a lot of databases and uh, actually uh, operate uh, with data. And uh, at that time, data was boring, boring for me. And uh, to be honest, I didn't even consider data pass for myself. And I thought that it's something that's uh, quite specific and uh, you have uh, to have a lot of skills, background, uh, understand math and uh, a lot of other things just uh, in order to properly use this data. But uh, after that, I noticed uh, that in, in the world, uh, we have uh, quite uh, interest in the way of uh, technology development. So for example, technology with uh, regular mails, with uh, voice calls, with video calls. A uh, couple of years ago, probably 10, 15 years ago, uh, that was a strategy when uh, we had like multiple streams and uh, these technologies, uh, these options, they were separate. But one day, a uh, next generation network uh, was introduced and the concept to mix everything together. And what do we have right now? So right now we have mobile phones <laughs> in your pockets and uh, this mobile phone actually it is used for everything, for emails, for voice uh, calls, for uh, video calls, uh, for conferences. And yeah, that's uh, your, let's say, uh, path to work connection. And uh, with data and with uh, DevOps, with uh, operations, we have pretty much the same. So at first, that was like a separate team of uh, system engineers uh, who just uh, configured the system for you, configured virtual machines, networking. Uh, we had uh, separate uh, developers who prepared code and uh, created some kind of models, applications, and we had the data scientists. And uh, now we have a mix of 
those people and we have new directions, new uh, ideas, uh, new concepts of development. And uh, we can see that machine learning and data science right now, it's, uh, not, it's not a rocket science, to be honest. So, uh, for example, AWS has, it's, it's still, it's still complicated when you want to uh, dive deeper in this. But at the same time, AWS, for example, has like, couple of services like uh, Deep Racer or Deep Composer, when you can just uh, create your own music or participate in racing, uh, car racing tournament, uh, and uh, at the same time, learn machine learning, understand how how build models, how train those models, how improve them and how to use. So that's a way to learn machine learning without this deep dive. And that's really cool. And uh, I prefer that. That's why, let's say, I uh, realized that I have to go back to this direction and probably uh, uh, make my hands dirty with machine learning stuff again. And uh, right now, I prefer to develop and participate in development of MLOps concept. But we'll talk about this today. Yeah, I think we are getting a bit of a holy war. What is rocket science? What is not? I'm just kidding. No worries. So yeah. So thanks for sharing your stories. And I have a number of topics that I wanted to discuss with you all, right? But all of them are focused around bringing AI and machine learning solutions live. All right, so how do we start with some ambitious idea and then transform it into a technical solution that is able to serve hundreds of thousands of users. Maybe, maybe let's discuss this, this journey in, in detail. So, Volodymyr, you advised and built innovative products and solutions for companies like Google, Amazon, Cisco, IBM, you name it. So how does this AI and machine learning journey look like on a, on a large scale? Well, it's really every big idea and like every of those ideas, big or small that we use today in our daily life, like, I don't know, Instagram filters, you name it, like spam filters, anything. It started with actually idea. So someone came up, came up with the idea that let's apply, let's try to solve this problem differently that we used to. So this is usually the start of every AI product or machine learning data science product journey. So we came up with an idea of some sort. And then actually where the real work starts, because nowadays machine learning is essentially, it's completely data-centered paradigm. So at some point of the development of this field, we decided that, you know, it's probably easier to collect data than try to script the rules. So let's try to learn from what we have. So the first step of the journey after the idea, which means the next step, I guess, will be, okay, let's collect the data that will represent what we are trying to solve here. And this is actually, well, that's actually a lot of work in behind because it turns out, well, we live in data abundant world. We have World Wide Web, we have IoT, we have mobile networks, we have social networks, like the data is there. It's huge in amount, in volume. It turns out that uh, it's not really accessible and it's not really usable. So we need to take really special care to at least get something out of the data. And that will be our next step to this. So once we actually have the data, what happens is, well, this is probably 80% managing the data, collecting the data. It's probably 80% of the work. And only after that, it's where the usual machine learning starts, you know, the, the sexiest things of 21st century. But it's 
in a nutshell, it's fairly small. So this is when we start iterating, trying to get closer to that idea, to that solution that we are looking, that will enable us. So this is usually, this usually doesn't happen in one go. So there is a lot of like trial, error, and some discarding, maybe discouragements even, but uh, still persevere hard enough and you will get decent results, especially nowadays when the, a lot of fields are researched. After some time, you will get a model decent enough that will be able to work. Well, we'll be able to mimic Instagram, I guess. But once you're there, it's the next, it's the start of the new journey, actually. It's the next step and the start of a new journey. And the journey we're just, lots of companies are just discovering for themselves. And well, of course, the leaders, market leaders, well, you call them leaders for a reason. So they felt the need for that journey quite some time ago. Specifically, we, the industry started talking about five years ago. And well, this is actually what we call a MLOps. Right. And I, I would also highlight that AI and machine learning is still highly experimental area, meaning it used to be more on the R&D side, right? But now that we realize the power of this technology, we sort of gave up trying to sort of find the predictable way of achieving the results. We still have to run multiple experiments. But what we want to do right now is rather run more of them, run them more efficiently, right? And faster get through this kind of sort of narrow down this, this slope, right? Or scope of uncertainty and get to the results in a more predictable way. So this, this is, I think, one of the biggest challenges for both, for, for everyone, actually, for data scientists, for businesses who expect the results quickly, right? They invest their money. And of course, for the infrastructure guys, right? So Ruslan, how does it look from, from, from your standpoint, right? So when a data scientist wants to run their experiments, right? And then they write some sort of scientific code and you need to then run it on a large scale. So how does it look from the infrastructure perspective? Yes, Yuri, you're right. So uh, machine learning right now, that's, let's say, experimental thing. So you have to run multiple models. You have to test everything. You have to understand if it's uh, if result uh, matches your expectation or not, or you should run, uh, rebuild this model and run it again. So that's why for machine learning, you can use the same principles as you use for code uh, or application development. So simple CI, CD. But with machine learning, except of code part, you have data part. And uh, with machine learning, you need to continuously improve uh, test models, understand uh, that uh, they are okay or should be adjusted. And you have, except the CI part, which is a continuous integration, CD part, which is continuous delivery or deployment, you have CT, which is continuous training. So. That's like a differentiator of uh, machine learning operations. And, uh, but still, that's like uh, principles related to code development, related to infrastructures, code development. Everything can be integrated to CI/CD pipelines and everything can be automated. And that's, that's I believe, the goal uh, and probably a trend for a modern uh, machine learning world, for modern development. So that's why I see and uh, really, uh, a lot of clouds, and we will talk about this a little bit later today. But uh, we 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 can see that a lot of uh, different cloud providers they pay more attention to this MLOps concept, and they understand the benefits of this approach, and they understand that with this approach, machine learning uh, will become, uh, let's say, 
an important part of each sphere of life. Yeah, totally agree. And I, I also want to know the, the scale that the machine learning workloads grow, right? Because even I think Google, they, they shared their statistic on the number of ML projects, right, that they that they held internally and the, the growth that they shared is exponential, right? And I think one of the reasons for that is also that the entry level for machine learning sort of is much lower, right? We don't need to write low level code, like uh, optimize our, our computations on GPUs. We operate high level libraries, right? That actually can be, can be learned, can be familiar even for non-ML experts, right? Either for software engineers, they can train their own models. But I think what is more important, what actually drives this scale is that even power users, business users these days can can use these technologies, right? So things like AutoML. So you want to predict, let's say, demand for your product. You you use BigQuery uh, ML, right? You select a, a predictor column that you want to predict. You you basically configure what you want to get, right? And there is an entire infrastructure that will decide which model to use, what parameters to use, and so on and so forth. Right, so it's actually simplifies a lot this development processes, allows more and more people get involved into this, right? So that that AutoML model might not be the best one, right? But it still could be a good one and can give an idea of what is state of possible. But for many cases, AutoML can outperform even PhD data scientists, right? Because there is just no better way to solve this task. So it's interesting how it's sort of getting commoditized and democratized in the same way. So do you guys have any any thoughts on that from, from your perspective? Well, actually, it's a historical fact. So back at the time when we actually started, so the tools were not nearly as mature and the accessible level, well, there was Tom Mitchell's book, there was Andrew in course, and there were a bunch of like highly mathematical context and like publication text books. So that was quite hard. It required good level of prior education to be able to pick that up. So nowadays we accumulated quite enough experience at the common tasks. So standing like things like computer vision, some NLP, like the same spam detection, which is as old as, well, you name it. And like more people can come and leverage that knowledge and it's easier than ever because the tools has been already created the tools that's never were here in like five years ago so this is this makes really easy yeah totally agree totally agree but it's the same time right machine learning is still hard so ruslan to your point of rocket science right there are still some cutting edge use cases right that require researchers right right really complex models using some really, really complex abstractions, right? That might not be familiar to many software engineers, right? So, and in order for, for this to, to for, for this to work successfully and efficient, right? There should be some intermediate, right? Something that will allow engineering teams pick it up, right? And use that uh, highly scientific code and run it on a large scale. So from, from your perspective, how do you see this? So is, is it difficult? And do you see that the, the market and the modern cloud providers that they, they, they help you and your teams, right? Better communicate with, uh, with the PhD experts, right? And help them essentially bring their solutions live. 
Yeah, that's a good point. So I would like to start with a joke. Uh, live in apartments and they have a guy uh, who drives car and actually he works for NASA and he has a really nice sticker on license plate from NASA so it's not a rocket science oh wait it is it's like for NASA but uh, my point uh, about uh, rocket science here that's more about uh, tools that we have available today so again it's like with the infrastructure as both a couple of years ago, I had to create uh, manual scripts. Uh, I had to use like programming languages and so on just to deploy some basic infrastructure, deploy virtual machines. Now I can do this with a couple of uh, code lines uh, using Terraform, for example. Uh, of course, you can use Terraform and be a good engineer who can uh, actually uh, do your job perfectly and uh, meet deadlines, but at the same time, you can be a developer of this Terraform. You can update these models, you can onboard new services, you can optimize it and so on. But you have to know more, at least go lang, and uh, you should use it in order to properly update and create this code. The same here. Of course, with modern tools available from different cloud providers, it's easier for you to integrate them, use them, and uh, build solutions on top of that. Uh, for example, uh, AWS has uh, a machine learning lens as a part of well-architected framework. So if you understand uh, how to build architecture following a well-architected design, you can just apply this lens and add uh, items related to machine learning. And that, that will be enough, at least to build, to prepare environment. But again, a couple of years ago, without these tools, without these approaches, that was difficult to do the same things. So that's all about tools and technologies available today. And uh, agree. So you can be a great expert with deep knowledge, but of course, uh, you should understand uh, data analytics. You should understand these processes. Uh, you should have master degree or whatever. But you can use machine learning technologies and you can be a good engineer who can implement solution without all this stuff uh, by using managed services available for you. So still, it makes sense, and uh, we understand that both people they are uh, they are required right now. So that that's more than work. You know, we 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 all are technical folks, right? So and we all come from technical background, but there is a one very important part in almost any AI journey, right? There is business, right? And the business they they want the results, right? They want them quickly. They want to minimize their risks. They want to they want to get the most out of their data and they hardly ever want to know the technical aspects, the, the, the scientific aspect, right? They do care about their customers, right? About their services. They don't care about deep learning, right? So maybe maybe Volodya, what what is your experience with uh, seeing machine learning? And uh, from the from the business perspective, from from your experience talking to business representatives, right? How do they usually perceive uh, the the challenges, right? And what do they require from us, from from technical folks, to help them better serve their customers and users? Well, I would say it really depends, because you know each customer is unique on their own, so they have usually different perspective. But if I were to categorize, I guess. Uh, 
some people think that this is kind of a next silver bullet and it will automatically propel them to be market leads. And this is a bit of a misconception, unfortunately, that you also need to come and work to help people, to business people really to understand what stands, what, what's the limitation of technology, what's possible, what's impossible and how that's going to cost. The others are quite more realistic and they just view that as another tool in the toolbox. So, okay, you've been doing the traditional software engineering. Now you're doing some fancy ML stuff again. It's just, well, we need to get the results. We're not selling the state-of-the-art deep learning. We are selling the service that this deep learning enables us. And there's also the other thing is the so-called return of investment. So there is still a room for kind of R&D setting, you know, as like things like that OpenAI does. So the OpenGPT, it's 10 millions of investment, three, I think three gigawatts of energy just to train that. And I think a week, something like that. So no company, no business will pour those money just for the sake of it. They will still be looking for some, you know, some returns. If that's a small company, that's your own money, or maybe your investor money, you want something back. That's a government that's people paying for this. So, okay, again, you need to get something. Well, and there is usually issue that, well, we need to deliver results and we need to deliver them fast, preferably for yesterday. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, this business perspective, right, it becomes even much bigger when you come to the enterprise levels, right? So the modern enterprises, they the complexity of their business is, is way too complex, right? They have different department. They may have a number of data sources. Not all of them are consolidated. The, the, the data itself, right, it represents some business process. And in order to work with this data and be able to use it to, to create some AI and machine learning solution, you have to understand the nature of this data, right? So yeah, it's, it's, it's a really complex problem when, 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 when you operate on a, on a large enterprise scale. All right, you, Volodya, you, Ruslan, you mentioned MLOps a couple of times. I don't think we properly introduced what it is, right? And I think no one heard about MLOps like a year or two years ago. So it's something new. And what it actually is, right? So we, we, we discussed some, some problems, some challenges, right? But is it a tool? Is it a technology? So how different it is from DevOps or other kind of ops that we have? Do you guys have any, any opinion on that? Probably I can start with this because uh, DevOps, I believe that the first uh, thing uh, that was mentioned a couple of years ago, actually more than 10 years ago, and uh, DevOps itself uh, was uh, positioned as a silver bullet probably to solve problems for bigger companies, for enterprises, uh, problem with process, problem with people, and so on. So uh, the same ops concept we have not only for DevOps. We have DevSecOps, where we have security edits. We have GitOps with automation and uh, single source control management and Git and uh, automation uh, for changes and so on. We have chat ops where we can use any chats like uh, Slack, like the Teams chat or whatever, or hip chat in order to send some comments and uh, trigger some environment uh, actions. We have uh, no ops concept. So in the future, when uh, we'll be no people, just the robots who will perform <laughs> some tasks and uh, do our job. So that will be no ops, probably. I I'm not sure about that, but still. 
And we have MLOps. MLOps, that's a concept, uh, that's a mix of machine learning, development, and operations. So again, in order to speed up this development lifecycle, in order to introduce some kind of automation to this process, we have the concept of MLOps. But it's not a particular technology. It's not a, I don't know, uh, a role. Yeah, it's definitely not. Uh, I, I would agree with, with, with Ruslan. Yeah, well, let, let's think actually, so what's the issue? We were framing like the problem of bringing machine learning to the customers, bringing that to production. What the challenges, what the issues are we facing there? But ultimately it's the work, the different teams are behind that, especially in their enterprise environment. And these teams, they have their own like routine, they have their own processes, kind of things like that. We need to have them working like together. We need to have that synergy. And well, this is actually what DevOps teaches us. But it turns out that machine learning is giving us additional layer on top of that as at the other areas. So this is effectively why we're talking. It's, just, it's not a tool of itself. It's not a kind of a guy that's going to come on board and make everything play nice. It's more like a cultural mindset, like DevOps is. So this is something you have to embrace. And this is kind of, this is a, this is a set of best practices, I would call. Guys, but I have noticed, you know, that there is some part that is changing, right? DevOps, MLOps, DataOps, but it's the style, the part, right, that is over there, Ops, right? So what is Ops? What is operations, right? I don't know who is listening to this podcast, but I think we need to clarify what what do we mean by operations, right? On a, I mean, no matter whether it's MLOps or DevOps, what we are talking about when we call something an operation. That's a good question. So that's about how you operate with all the stuff, how you uh, deploy to your customers all, all the things that you create. It's all this code and uh, dirty code, probably, or whatever else. But it's something that should be deployed and it should be operated in production environments and bring some business value. That's uh, an operation part. And uh, with this concept of mixed teams, when we have uh, MLOps, when we have DevOps, the main idea at the end have responsibility for this operations part for all creators of this code of this solution. So the same for MLOps. We have ML engineers who create the models, who train these models, who provide the solution to the production environment, and they are responsible for the solution in production. So that that's the way how I understand operations and how it works in a, in a real life. Well, do you have any any comments on that? How different it is when you we speak about ML and data science? Well, I guess at some point the data scientists suddenly didn't feel that they are the rock star they used to be because it turns out it's not over with a fancy notebook or something that you managed. Because well, as I mentioned, you still need to deliver somewhere, and this is a separate set of knowledge, and this is where ops come into play. It's actually it's been the same. So I remember my days as a software engineer back then, and it was the same stuff. So I implemented the code, I kind of tested it works on my local machine. I'm done. Well, turns out you're not. It's the same cycle that right now data scientists are coming through and machine learning engineers. Well, it's working in your notebook. You're not done. You need to deliver that later like further down the road and this is where basically ops come into play you need to understand that it's hard you don't like it well you are another rock star not kind of software engineering rock star but you need to understand that yeah and and you know to me operations it's it's a just a abstraction right it's a step or a stage in some sort of in some sort of process right towards achieving 
some goal, right? So we once we identify the those stages, right, that are abstract enough, we call them ops, right? But what do we want to achieve, right? So what, what with MLOps, right? What are what are the goals? What are what are the objectives in general? How do we measure whether we are good there? Because again, since it's not a technology, right? We we it's quite hard to understand whether this, as you mentioned, right, cultural mindset, whether we are good or bad in that area. So are there any any ways to measure it? Oh, that's that's a good question, Yuri. And uh, I believe that's uh, that can be another holy work here because uh, still a lot of a lot of questions from business. So how can we measure success of uh, MLOps or of DevOps and uh, integration of this process to a business cycle? And that's a question about the KPI, I believe. So what can be considered as a metrics for this? And uh, with MLOps, and uh, it's my humble opinion, so with MLOps, uh, I believe that the currency of predictions of these models, uh, that can be considered as a success of MLOps. So if it's better, the, you spend less time for a training process, means that you have success. But I believe Volodymyr can have other opinions. Let me educate you guys here a bit as a person who's been doing MLOps for some time. <laughs> sure. So... <laughs> It's not only about the accuracy, actually. So this is a model training phase, which is, of course, important. But uh, the point is the speed of getting that model to your customers. And, well, we all know that MEMA, that it took a couple of days to train my model. And now there are six months trying to get that into production. So this is also one of the important KPI, how fast we deploy. And since the models are pretty much a commodity right now, that means you might end up having a fleet of those models, hundreds of them, maybe thousands. Well, enterprises can have tens of thousands. And that means a throughput, how many models you could put forward. Of course, all these models, they have their like technical challenges. You need to monitor things like latency. You need to monitor things like responsiveness, this kind of stuff. So you also need some kind of form of health checks. So you also need to be mindful of costs for the environment behind that. And that's kind of also an issue. So the average time it takes to spot an issue, the problem like data drift or concept drift. So monitoring comes into play, which again, how fast can you spot an issue and address that is also a KPI. So there's actually quite a few of them that we know already, we've tried that. Yeah, that's, that, that's interesting, right? But how do we get there? Are there any, any best practices? How, how do we solve this problem? Right, so I think one of the things that are that is important here is being able to build this continuous integration, development, deployment processes. Right, because we, I think, what we want to get essentially is borrow the best from the DevOps world, or or maybe integrate ML into the DevOps world. Right, so and CI/CD plays a crucial role there. Right, so. Volodya, from, from your experience working with, with, with your customers, right? Well, how do we do that? How do we build this, this CI-CD ecosystem that's specific to, to, to machine learning? If you have any examples maybe from, from specific projects, I would love to hear. And I think our listeners would also. Yeah, so when we're talking CI-CD, it's actually, we need to understand that this is also kind of, it's a process, it's again a tool and it's a question, how do we apply that? And it's usually based on the customer needs. So, and those needs can be actually, in terms of like ML team, it can be different. 
So let me bring two examples here, uh, separate projects, uh, one from the retail, uh, the other one is from the manufacturing with two quite different requirements. So let's start with the retail, that one was smaller, but effectively the goal of that customer was to enable their data science team to deliver machine learning models fast. So this is an interesting environment, we call that a sandbox scenario when effectively we need to be able to pick the work from the data scientist, from machine learning engineer fast in some kind of structured template manner, and then integrate that into pipeline without involvement, for example, of MLOps, uh, well, ML engineer, let's call it like that, or a DevOps engineer, which means this is automated. So this is one kind of scenario. There is also another one. So, and here I would bring probably the other experience and from the manufacturing where you do not have, you have a team of data scientists, of course, but you don't, you do not have like undefined number of those models. You have just a few and you're targeting specific workspace. So in this case, it's a more fixed way, but it also gives you more freedom, like in terms that you don't need to provide a template behind that. So you're not limited your data scientists to pick what you want, but instead you're providing them some kind of, uh, again, GitOps style solution that will pick their model that will retrain that at scale and then we'll put that into production. And are there any, any best practices specific to ML, right? So how, how does CICD process look like with respect to machine learning, right? I, I assume it's, well, I, of course I know, but I assume that it's, it's a bit different, right? There are some specifics. So how would you, how would you call that, that or measure that different? What is special about ML? Yeah, it's actually different because if we are talking about traditional, tr traditional, excuse me, continuous integration and uh, like continuous delivery deployment, what are we dealing with here? We're dealing with the code. So it turns out that in machine learning, it's still a code actually. Well, machine learning model is still a code of some sort, but that's not enough really. So now you need to be mindful of other things. And that will be like the most important aspect is the data. And then there is a training process with, which produces its own set of like uh, artifacts and information that is extremely useful. It needs to be integrated into that CI CD loop and taken care of. And there is, of course, well, with software engineering, we've written the code and it passed our like unit testing, maybe integration testing, and we are good here. But with model, it's not that deterministic. So we are training and then we are validating. So we might as well discard the process, start new. So actually, a uh, thing that uh, I mentioned and Volodymyr just highlighted this again, uh, it's not like a CI-CD pipeline anymore. That's CI-CT-CD pipeline. So CT, continuous training, that's important part of machine learning. But probably, and uh, probably Volodymyr can answer to this question as well. So what about uh, monitoring? Because that's another important layer. And uh, I remember that uh, from well-architected framework and machine learning lens. So Except this CI CD CT layer when you have like a code pipeline, when you have code built and so on. And when you just uh, do this, uh, you have a monitoring player and uh, you also need to understand what's going on and how to monitor all the stuff, how to predict the resource needs and so on. So, what can you say about this? Do you have any probably insight, insights, any uh, relevant experience here? Yeah, certainly. So monitoring plays a crucial role because you need to have an insight what's going on in the framework. You know, in the old days, we've got our like code coverage report. We've got what's called the 
unit test reports. So like six passed, eight not, well, go figure out and fix your stuff. And here, like we are monitoring, wait, we need to monitor way more things. We need to monitor parameters. We need to monitor the data. We need to look at distributions of the data. So we need basically to monitor like uh, hyper parameters, which we are going to store. We will be monitoring these training curves, accuracy, this kind of things. So we will be also validating the model and also putting that into monitoring. So another important aspect actually is that, for example, most of cloud providers allows us to define some form of triggers. So we had a CT pipeline running, which we monitored, of course, and we got the result, but suddenly that result is not something we wanted. So we are monitoring basically this, we are monitoring the data and well, it's not that, can we fix it? We have a trigger, which will basically force us to retrain our model and try again. We cannot fix that. We will raise an alert, which means we will need man in the loop, which is going, who is going to check and basically figure out what's going on. Uh, but what do you think about uh, predictive monitoring? So for example, again, for other products, uh, for other clients, uh, not only for machine learning, we prefer to uh, convince our clients about importance of predictive monitoring or proactive monitoring. So just to understand issues because, uh, before they occur. What about machine learning? Can we do the same here? So can we build a monitoring system that allows us to uh, be more predictable and probably react proactively? Yeah, let me touch on that because this is a in really interesting question. I'm really glad you asked it because it kind of brings up the topic of AI ops. And apparently that's a different thing from MLOps, right? So what AIOps is, is actually a way to apply AI techniques to general operations, right? Not only machine learning operations, any kind of operation may, may fail, right? So you, you're running some, some job, right? And then you know how long will it take for this job to finish? And maybe you may notice that some of the job they they, they may take longer than expected, right? You may optimize your, your infrastructure, for instance, right? If, let's say you assume that there is a lot of load coming soon, right? Maybe you can scale your infrastructure, right? And sometimes you may have like a well-defined triggers for that, right? But quite often you, it's hard to know it in advance, right? And you need to apply some predictive techniques, right? Based on the history that, okay, this, this behavior in your application, maybe, I don't know, your uh, CEO just turned on his or her laptop, which means that uh, she's gonna start a monthly report, right? And that report will generate a lot of operation across all of infrastructure. Maybe that's a trigger that you need to prepare so that your CEO uh, gets his or hers report in time. So yeah, there is a lot of room of applying AI to infrastructure, but that goes far beyond just MLOps, right? So it's interesting how confusing these topics are, AI ops and MLOps. Valoria, what do you think? We are drowning in ops these days, actually, because the ops is everywhere and that's totally fine. But I would agree, actually, AI ops is taking things to the next level in terms of infrastructure. It's benefiting, actually, if we use that, it's benefiting everyone, even the MLOps, because effectively we can be proactive. And for example, well, training can be quite expensive. If we, if our system, our AI ops solution will tell us that, you know, well, it will probably go bad. Well, we can save ourselves a lot of money. 
you're right and that's all about costs and uh nowadays especially with this uh, covid 19 situation a lot of people a lot of businesses they care about money about costs and uh, they're trying to do the same things but cheaper than previously and uh, spend less money for this and uh, that's why i have um, more and more requests related to this proactive monitoring and uh, probably a the request to have visualization of cost spending and uh, have a more understanding of what we use and why we use exactly this. We've been talking about operations infrastructure, but I think at least in my world, right, machine learning is all about data, right? You can do any machine learning without data. Why, why haven't we mentioned anything, right? So I think that data in general plays a crucial role. And for instance, one of the important aspects is that data is actually defined the behavior, right? So instead of instead of a software developer who are writing the logic of the application, right? Right Now it's the data that writes the logic of the application. So how do we care about the data? How, what is the role of the data in, 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 in all this process? And do we have any best practices? So Volodya, I think you have a lot of experience in that area. So can you share with us any, any aspect that we, we or any other people, right? Who are listening to our podcast should take care or be aware of? Well, yes. So I guess it's not exactly proverb yet, but it will be. But you know, if you don't have a good data, don't go into ML. That's a money pit. So that means that basically says everything. You need to take special care. You know, the data it comes in various forms. So it can be streams, it can be batch, it can be structured data, non-structured data. So this data can be labeled somehow. Well, it might have some meta information, like annotations and things. It might as well not. But if you want to generate any to actionable insights from the data, you need to take care. You need to integrate that data into something tangible. You need to kind of prepare that into some standard form, into some standard schema. You need a place for that. And actually, this is where we come to our best practice. So it's not a tool for everyone, but it's actually quite a useful thing. And we call that a feature store. So essentially, what exactly is a feature store, for example? It's a form of a data storage database, depending on what data you want to integrate. But it's something where you will do ingestion of your data. It's something that will also enable and facilitate the data versioning, because realistically, if you changing in data pipeline, changing in data transformation pipeline, or even changing in changing inputs can greatly affect the results, or even basically, well, I'm sorry, screw everything over. So that's why you want to review or kind of rewind back. That's why you need this versioning thing. So you also need annotation because, you know, it's nice. You have some data set you put it in there like half a year ago. You have no idea what that is because you already forgot and move forward. But maybe it makes sense to return. So this will also be provided as one of the features of the feature store. So for core functionality, the other one, supposedly you're working like a collaborative fashion, like the retail uh, customer I was mentioning. So essentially they were working on the same set of the integrated data. And since we spent most of our time kind of doing data managing, this is investment of time and money because well, rock stars are quite expensive. So it only makes sense to leverage that work. So that brings us to another important feature is basically collaboration. So, and all that, like having all this to play, 
it all enables you kind of if you tie that to your training experiments to your metadata which is also again a data which you need to store somewhere and it's also actionable it's basically it's it enables what is called a provenance you can always tell what's going on with your pipeline which is extremely important for certain domains for example such as banking such as healthcare well you need to explain what's happening in there but yeah you need to take care of the data because otherwise well, it's just a money pit. Right. And, you know, it's, I would also like to discuss some of the issues with data quality, right? Because, you know, in, in, I think it's also a common joke, right? That machine learning, it, it's garbage in, garbage out, right? So the quality of any machine learning model is as good as the quality of the data that comes in. You mentioned that customer. Uh, retail customer, do you have any any challenges, any any difficulties with data quality there? Well, not for retail, but the other bigger enterprise, it's actually, it's probably one of the most challenging projects that the one I'm remembering right now that I used to work. And this is essentially because it is a huge enterprise with lots of different, uh, like, teams, departments, each having their own life cycle, like uh, routines set in place, each having their own processes. And the data usually, well, it reflects those processes. The schemas are different. The level of care is different. The granularity, this kind of thing. You need to, well, you want to work with that company-wide. So the company was really interesting. Let's try to integrate that. Let's action that because this is like a treasure trove we are sitting in. And this was the first issue. So when we started, actually, they were having huge problem with integration. And even after that, we kind of ended up in a situation where even the small change in data engineering pipeline affected everything greatly. So this was actually one of the hardest, I would say. Yeah, totally agree. I assume that was the, the, the project, the customer that's, that got a lot of uh, nights without sleep. <laughs> Since we are kind of getting to the end of our uh, episode, right? Let's try to actually dream, right? How, how would the future look like? Let me maybe share my opinion, right? Because I'm, I'm a bit of a dreamer. That's in the same time kind of helps me and quite often uh doesn't but yeah i mean i think that's in, a, in an ideal world right we want to automate everything right we want to have infrastructure tooling that will allow to essentially get the most out of the data right without actually involving a human expert right there will be there will be an ecosystem that allows to understand what what part of data is important right what part of data is missing right that the same ecosystem will will find the best way to to use that data to 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 get the, the certain results, right? Of course, we as as humans, we still have to define our objectives, right? For for any AI machine learning, but yes, I think in a in the next couple of years, we'll see more and more automation until we get uh, get out of our job, I believe, right? Because if everything is automated, we we get paid for nothing, right? So, what do you guys think? How would the future look like? When, when we get to this ultimate level of DevOps, MLOps, and every kind of ops. Yeah, I think that uh, it will be no ops. So as I mentioned, so everything, and agree with you, everything will be automated. We have no job, but no, just kidding. Actually, uh, yeah, a lot of things, uh, the, those things will be automated for 
for sure. But at the same time, uh, as we discussed today, uh, right now, uh, there is no clear understanding of uh, data that is used. So do we need exactly this data to uh, run these models? Or we need more data? Or probably uh, some of this data is extra and we can get rid of it and uh, that will allow us to speed up the process for training and so on. And uh, again, I believe that five years, it's not enough, even with modern development, even with modern tools and uh, let's say with modern understanding of this, uh, of the importance of, of, of this process, still it's not enough. I believe in five years, we'll have more mature uh, business uh, that will use the MLOps and ML technologies uh, we'll have it uh, in integrated to cars, to, I don't know, to some plants, factories, and so on. So your car can tell you that uh, it's proper time for maintenance. And let's visit some diagnostic center and just uh, fix this particular problem. So that, that's something that will be. Yeah, but again, five years is not enough to solve all the problems. And uh, don't forget that, as we discussed it today, when we uh, start in this operation on a higher level without deep dive to technologies, we still need experts who will support this, who will support the process, who will support those pipelines and so on. So it means that we will uh, develop ourselves. We will have more free time for our families, for example, but at the same time, we'll still have work and we will support all those systems. So that's my opinion. Well, Dima, what about you? Well, I'm not as pessimistic as some of us here about us getting out of job. Well, we pretty, I guess, durable and we evolved. Not the, it's not the first time we're evolving in terms of our responsibilities and skills. So, and actually, I don't think we'll be automating everything because you can't really automate everything. That's a quite a pipe dream. And we are not at the level of, you know, completely autonomous AI yet. So that's definitely not going to happen in the five years. But I do believe that like we will uh, improve our practices. MLOps itself will improve. It will bring the, I guess, the area, the machine learning itself to the next level. It will commoditize that to a point where it will become accessible. So the tools will evolve to a point where machine learning will become accessible to everyone. And that's actually what makes me extremely excited because it's really, it really is exciting. It's, you know, the devil is not in the technology. It's the way, how do you apply that? The more people get that powerful tool into their hands, the more good they can do. Right. So of course, of course, uh, don't get me wrong. I was joking. Right. And, and in general, I think we, we as humans, we are, we are lazy, right? So we tend to automate everything, but at the same time, we are curious and we are ambitious, right? So once we automate the, some tasks, once they become simple, we, we quite, quite easily find the more complex task, right? So we just start operating more higher level abstractions. And again, everything is complicated, although we forgot how the, I mean, we already automated a lot of things. It's still our life quite quite challenging, right? And, and, and still we, uh, and since we still have some time until this no kind of happened, right? MLOP drop market is booming, it's crazy. And I think it's worth mentioning that we at Saucer, we are, we are hiring and we are hiring like crazy. And uh, and I think that Volodymyr's team is one of the fastest growing teams on, on, on in, in our data science practice. So yeah, we'll see. We'll see how the world will look like. 
And in the meantime, I wanted to say thank you guys again. As I mentioned, you are one of the smartest people I ever worked with. It's it's a big pleasure to talk to you. You have your different perspectives. It, and it was quite interesting to me and I hope our listeners also enjoyed it and will enjoy it. So thank you guys. And thank you to everyone who listened to this episode of People, Tech and Awareness Podcast. Thank you, everyone. Thank <laughs> you.